who's there? And there's who's there? Only silence answers the bleaching no. He scrambles out of bed and across the cramped, scrap-filled room. Don't think you can sneak up on me, Gorgajord. I've been watching you. I know all about your evil mind control device, but it won't work on me. I've got silence on my side. Again, there's no response. Gurgajerb, whoever that is, remains completely silent, waiting in the darkness. Or, you know, not existing at all. Garrett grabs a large metallic pipe out of a pile of rubbish, and as he pulls on it, it sets off an avalanche of junk. Bits and bobs tumble down from shelves and piles, first just in front of the gnome, but quickly spreading across the room until it seems the very walls themselves, made from poorly assembled stacks of scrap metal and garbage, are threatening to collapse in on themselves. When the cacophony dies down, Garrett is nowhere to be seen. The pile of junk spread over the floor is fully enveloped in. Seconds tick by. The pile shifts slightly and then comes to a rest again. A tiny albino hand bursts through the pile and grabs onto a badly dented metal canister. Blindly, Garrett hauls himself up out of the wreckage, still clutching what appears to be an oversized homemade gun of some sort. He wipes the sweat, messy hair, and grease out of his eyes and finishes climbing out from underneath, finally standing defiantly atop the mess. Last try, Gugajerb! You and your alien friends are going to have to do better than that if you want to defeat me. This is Pot Against the Gurkid Machine. Pot Against the Machine. Pot Against the Machine. Welcome once again to Pot Against the Machine, the actual play podcast that has nowhere to go but up. Uh, once again, I am Sam, your host and GM, and we'll kick it to uh, Izzy first today. Hello, I'm Izzy, and you know what? I was sent in a dream that I was going to go first, so I prepared with this anecdote that is somewhat self-fulfilling now. Uh, I play Kira, uh, Jero. <laughs> For a second, I thought you were saying her last name. <laughs> yep. Jero, uh, and this week I'm actually playing Asher. We're uh, shaking things up a bit. Uh, but in actuality, I play Vargas, and Asher is actually played by Jeff. Isn't that right, Jeff? Uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I don't know if it would beat the joke to death, but I was going to pretend I was playing Brixby. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I could do a good Brixby voice. Uh, so yes, uh, I'm Jeff. I'm playing Asher Hillich. And uh, that leaves only the real man behind the mouse, Zach. It's true. Uh, another man who can also not do a good Brixby voice, Zach. Uh, running Brixby Rent Tail. And uh, when last we left our plucky adventurers, they had emerged from the cave in the Weeping Pond with the uh, dead body of Pardagar and the dead body of a robot with a hole in its head um, in tow and um, very, very stealthily dragged the robot through town um, while carrying uh, Parda over to the Temple of Phirasma to be uh, entrusted into the care of Mylon Radley. Um, now, the... Robot was stashed at a uh, warehouse that Kira uh, knew for reasons unknown. And the party, after some conversation, has decided to uh, track down Sandville Tret at the boarding houses on the west side of town. And that's where we pick things up. So to set the scene, it is fairly late at this point. It's pretty dark, and the group of four who are still rather soggy and perhaps a bit smelly from their wonderfully pleasant swim, are approaching the boarding house on the west side of town, which is an 
collection of actually nine small cottages. There's one sort of in the front and center uh, where the office is, and then there are eight tucked back behind it, uh, arranged, and those are the actual uh, ones that get rented out to various scavengers, travelers, adventurers, and possibly uh, salesmen like Sandal Tret. The lights, or in this case, candles or torches of some kind are lit in several of the cottages, including the, the main office one. Well, should we inquire at the office as to Sandal's location? Yeah, group. Um, you feeling like making a deal? Well, if not, we sure did a whole lot of work to figure it out. <laughs> Seems like we should give it a try. I still say it'd be better to just throw that thing back down the hole, but he did ask for a robot, so let's go barter. Yeah, and, um, well, we've been going through healing potions like candy. And with that, Brixby hoists himself up the stairs. Are you going directly to one of the cottages, or are you going to the office? Oh, sorry, I thought we were right <laughs> outside the main office. Um, oh. All of the stairs. No, just the the stairs of the main office. Um, I think we need to figure out where Sandville is. The door to the main office is uh, unlocked and uh, opens into a, a modest cottage that has been converted into a, a place of business. There's just a small room in the entranceway with a, a desk up front where an older human man sits dozing at a chair. But he, he perks up when the door opens and hits the little bell hanging over the, over it. Um, he says, Hello? Wh- what can I do you for? We're looking for someone. Um, maybe you can help us? Well, we certainly have someone here. Uh, could you be a bit more specific? I could. I could. Yeah. Uh, Tret? Sandville Tret? Do you know him? He might be under a different name. He seems like the kind of guy who would have two or three names. Uh, his face turns into a, a little bit of a scowl at the mention of, of Tret. He goes, Yeah, he's here. He's, we always give him number seven back by the, back by the ridge. Oh, well, that's my favorite or least favorite number, depending on your reaction to that statement. Let's say least favorite. Well, he's probably still up. He keeps crazy hours, but I guess it's none of my business if you want to bother him. I think just friendly conversation, etc., Thanks for your help. I don't know if anyone else had other questions. Do you want to? He knew that one, so we could just try him out. As far as tenants are concerned, has he been a reliable one in the past? I, he didn't seem overly pleased to uh, when you heard his name. Well, I just don't really like the fella. He, he pays his bills and he gives me fair enough business. And just, you know, as a person... Not the biggest fan of him. Stinks the place up and... I don't know. He's a weird guy. Hmm. Weird guy, he says to the uh, group of soaking wet adventurers all stiff breeze away from collapsing because we still haven't healed. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't seem to mind that all that much. (laughs) Well, uh, I appreciate your candor and, um information uh enjoy your nap he nods and tips an imaginary hat to you and goes back to sort of just staring at nothing and and dozing at the desk Uh, the arrangement of of eight cabins uh, behind the office is across just like a little grassy kind of miniature park thing and they're they're all numbered uh, one through seven Uh, so it's easy enough to tell which one's which uh, number seven does have a appear to have a fire burning, uh, based on the light coming out through the windows. Um, all right, team. Uh, I know that I have uh, 
just before we go in, right? I likely have the most um, solid relationship with Sandville, just based off of our past business history. Um, so I'm happy to lead, but uh, I think we should consense on how much we should share. Also, what we want. Well, he knows he went into the cave already, right? It seems like that part won't be much of a secret. Yeah, I just meant, um... Did you... Did you want to protect the place that we're hiding, the robot? It seemed... I mean, is this a... Is this a... Is it okay that we bring him there? Oh, um... Yeah, I mean, I know other places if we if we need other places i mean or not there are a lot of warehouses roofs and floors walls you know things that make buildings yeah it's fine this is good great good talk guys all right um anyone else have any concerns uh or anything else they'd like to maybe flesh out before we go in I love Sandville, but he is a silver-tongued man. You say you know him, at least passingly, because of your work together. Do you know what exactly it is he plans to do once he gets one of these metal men? I assume he... well, you wouldn't want to get caught with it, from what I understand. Um, if it did belong to, to somebody else, uh, say, someone in power, that said, um, pretty sure he'll just sell it. Might keep it himself. He is a weird guy. He, uh, he does like, I mean, as do I, the mechanical, the tinker, the technology, you know, um, mm. he might just keep it as a, as a curiosity. His affinity towards the technical could explain his metal tongue. I, I could see why the the man in the office might have found that a bit off-putting. I'm a, I'm a bit apologetic that I didn't actually notice it myself when we first met. I was preoccupied. Hey, Asher, if you want, maybe you and I can discuss, like, sayings and phrases later when we're, you know, less in danger of dying. It'll be fun, I promise. Ah, well. It certainly does sound interesting. My only other point of conversation before we enter would be that while I understand our financial need to sell this repair drone, it is unfortunate that we are in such a predicament that we couldn't repair it and perhaps retain it ourselves. I get the feeling that we've only... Too dangerous. Sure. I, I, I don't disagree. It's simply... I expect we may find others... As dangerous or... More dangerous. Simply other technical... Curiosities. As we continue exploring down there and... Having something... That could repair could have been... Or may still be rather advantageous. Um... I, while I do have the knowledge to identify uh, random technological items I might come across in my travels, uh, I lack the both dexterity and know-how to repair machines. Do you have that knowledge? I know a, a bit, probably about the same... Perhaps slightly one point less or so as far as how they work. But the ability to repair them. No, I don't, I don't yet possess that knowledge. Um, but I, I do agree with you, Asher. I'm, uh... It's difficult for me to let this one go. But it is only with the very clear need for money that we have right now. Um... That 8,000 gold pieces sounds mighty nice to me on the other side of this. 
It also, as you said, seems likely we might run into another one of these, or something more useful or wonderful. I worry about keeping a robot in our entourage and the attention that brings. Yes, you make a you make a fair point as always, Brixby. And should we not get the funds from this, we may not live much longer. <laughs> not to be too pessimistic, as it were, but but yes, we we could use healing and more healing. Yeah, to uh, borrow a phrase from our subterranean friends, uh, we suck. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, we will get better and not need as much healing in the future. Um, and possibly could even purchase other things that could make us better at what we do. Um, but anyway, uh, let's head in before the fire turns out, yeah? After you? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Grixby will sort of kind of get into character a bit. He will, like, try to smooth himself out. Somewhat a savvy businessman, not nearly as much as Sandville Tret. He understands that uh, walking up to a transaction uh, 75% alive with companions at even less percent of alive behind him shows us at a, a, a disadvantage. So, you know, he uh, takes a moment, smooths out his hair, uh, wipes a little bit of blood off of Vargas's cheek, who probably winces and scowls in return, and, uh, you know, slicks back his ears um, before just bellowing at the door. Sandville! Sandville, you beautiful man! Open up! I've got something for you! There's a, a little bit of a pause, and you can hear banging about and things dragging around on, on the floor. Um... For over the course of several seconds, um, Sandville opens the door uh, with a smile and steps back out of the way, revealing the the cottage behind him. It's a small two-room affair that's been packed to the gills with items from his stall, wrapped in cloths, skins, and paper, or stuffed into jars and left out on any available surface. There's a fire crackling in the fireplace despite the warmth of the evening and several candles lit on a table in one corner of the room, providing plenty of illumination, albeit of the flickering dim variety. There's an odd, acrid smell in the air, some kind of unfamiliar smoke mixing into the general froust, but his occupant doesn't seem to mind. He's got a kettle heating over the fire, an odd arrangement of pint jars on the table by the door, all filled with an oily, multicolored liquid that seems to defy description, and a set of scales and beakers on the table by the candles. Sandville himself looks a bit glassy-eyed as he greets you. Hey, Brixby! How, how's it going? See, you guys made it out from under the under the hill. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a nice jaunt. You, you should visit sometime. Just gotta learn how to breathe underwater. Anyway, Sandville, it's late and I can tell you're, um... Brixby will sort of cock his head look at what he's doing and wait for him to finish the sentence. Ah, don't worry about this. I got projects on projects on projects. Uh, but there's there's always time for you guys. What did you need at this ungodsly hour? Oh, well, gods have nothing to do with it, mate. Let's just say, based off of a previous conversation, I have you on a short list of people. I would be very interested in something made of metal that perhaps can walk, move, perhaps repair other things. Not to be too vague, but we found what I believe is a robot under the mountain and we dragged it out. Not before, um, well, neutralizing it, but not beyond repair in my and um, his uh, 
motioning back at Asher. Somewhat expert opinions. Holds good value. You think you have time to um, examine these goods? His eyes go absolutely wide um, as Brixby describes what it is that they found. Um, and he'll go over to the to the kettle on the fire and just sort of move it off onto the floor so it um, just gets away from the heat. And he says, absolutely. Oh, you don't know how happy you've made me, Briggs. You dragged well, one of them out of there, eh? Yeah, as you can see, the muscle behind me it was an easy task. But I like making you happy, Sandville. Because you like making us happy, yeah? Of course, eh? I think, I mean, we got, what, two now? Two machines under there? You gotta tell me what it looks like, Bricks. I could probably do you one better. Come with us. Yeah, he snickers at that and sort of waves his hands dismissively. Ah, I'm not the adventuring type. I'll leave that for you guys, but... If you're gonna be pulling machines out of there that can walk... I can make all of us very rich. So, where do you got this thing stashed? A nearby location. Puts his hands up defensively. He's like, I understand, I understand. You're smart to be careful with it. But I can't buy anything that I haven't seen. Of course. Um, grab your coat. And he'll uh, grab his cloak, throw it over his shoulders, and... Uh, grab a, a pipe with something and just puff it once, put it back down, and uh, clap his hands together and say, All right, let's go. Uh, all right, company. Um, and uh, Bricks will kind of hang towards the back of the group with Sandville, letting Kira lead. Um, his goal is really to just jabber his ear off as much as possible, get him real excited. Uh, you know, stoke the the fire of, um, of commerce of, of our coming business transaction. Dear God, we need money. I won't say that part, though. Yeah, he's absolutely um, excited to talk about every aspect of this thing. He'll ask a thousand questions and, and go a mile a minute uh, as, as you all walk back to the warehouse. Oh, now right, Sandville. Before we go inside, like I said, this is a powerful piece of technology. Now, as you can see by my very capable crew, we were able to put it down, but we don't know the extent of its power. So be on your guard when you're in there. We're talking danger. And then with that, he looks to Pura to let us in. Yep, she'll open the door with as much of a flourish as she can muster. I think it's probably like a, ooh, to help, and then give a not at all inconspicuous wink to Brixby. Um, Sandville rushes over to the repair drone upon seeing it, and you know he, he puts his hands on it immediately, finds the bullet hole pretty quickly since it's right through the center of the thing's head, but the... Um, basically like kneeling down next to the thing and um, examining every facet of it. Ah, this thing's beautiful. Beautiful. Now, I'm betting that this is the same one that, or the same model at least, that, that Connor dragged out a few days ago. I've been begging his kid for a look at that one, but she won't let me anywhere near it. Oh, I bet this. I bet this wasn't the only one, huh? I bet there's a gold mine under there. What else did you see? Well, we don't know that per se, but um, if anyone will find out, I think it's this very capable fool. So, uh, let's not talk of other robots. Let's talk of this one. What's your purse still in your sandbill? 
you know, he chuckles a little bit and, and stands up, taking a, a step back from the thing, like he's remembering now that that uh, <laughs> he's been kind of screwing up in the negotiation. Um, and he sort of puts a hand on his chin and goes, ah, I think I could do... Oh, it's got a hole in its head. Yeah, well, lucky that uh, he got to it and put a tiny hole into it, rather than uh, Oh, you wouldn't even believe what Junk Punch can do. So mark yourself lucky, Senville. That's a surgical hole. See him? Artist. Surgeon artist. Yes. I was very explicitly aiming to avoid any of the primary computing components. If you don't believe me, listen back to the previous episodes. That's smart, that's smart. <laughs> ah, that's exactly what I would do were I the kind of person who fights robots. Uh, as I said, I leave that to you. Now, uh, I think under the circumstances, I could go as high as 500 gold for this thing to take it off your hands, knowing that that it is busted in its current state. Bricks will uh, hold up a, a fat rat paw and do the huddle symbol, because I think that that's, you know, a very crucial part of our group negotiation tactic. And I imagine it involves getting some sort of box or series of boxes to even me out to the relative height that everyone else in the party is. <laughs> or actually, even better, you just dangle. Let's all take a, take a knee. Let's take a knee, just like a team, right? Um, so, uh, do we know how much this is worth? I actually can't remember if we appraised this in the last episode. I don't think you did. Could we roll in a prince now? <laughs> Do we, or is it a, uh, yeah. Is it too late? Okay. We have a prince in a prince. Is anybody else? I do. Plus three. Let me see what that gives. I have a plus eight. Oh, that's more. Oh yeah, you should probably do it then because I got an 11. First roll of the night, 19 on the die. We're looking at a 27 appraised there. <laughs> well appraised. Thank you, Die Hard Dice. Well, I think with with a roll like that, you know this thing's worth more than 500 gold. I mean, there's obviously mitigating factors. It's broken, and anybody who has something like this is going to basically have a target on their back from the technically where they the where the knowledge to become public, but you know, somebody like Sandville, he probably knows where to unload it safely, you would think. And he's the kind of guy who does that sort of thing for a living. Uh, Brixby would turn to Asher and say, uh, Asher, you're much better at talking to people, convincing them to do things than I am. Whose charisma? Um, I was thinking, moving forward in this negotiation, perhaps you could take the reins. I would offer a point of advice, possibly compliment him, his vein, tell him, of course you could find a way to offload this robot. Of course you could find a way to fix this robot. He's intelligent and resourceful likes hearing that but I mean I know you always come up with the right thing to say you do well appreciate those kind words do we know quantifiably how much this thing should be worth the GM seemed reluctant to give us more than a <laughs> more than 500 gold pieces amount I was getting the feeling that we are being undersold by at least at least half right yeah i would say at least half i would say that yeah in its damaged state we should push for 800 900 i mean we might only get closer to three quarters of its original price if it is like a thousand gold pieces or something but i really i know samuel he starts slow and um 
Well, I have a relationship with him. I'm, uh, I'm not always the best at, uh, you know, keeping up with him. So, push as high as you can. Certainly. Well, commerce does run in my family, so perhaps I may have picked up a tactic or two in my younger days. And if buying any other input, uh, I'll return and see if we can't get a more fair price for the hard work that we put in. Perhaps 500 gold pieces and 250 feet of rope. <laughs> It'd be insane to want to part with that much rope. Don't forget all of the healing potions. <laughs> Who has that much rope? I'm not a miracle worker. Yeah, uh... Asher winks. You get the feeling he might be joking. Uh, he <laughs> will return to Sandville. And Sandville is still standing by the, the robot at this point. Um, he's got his arm on it on the thing's shoulder like he's hanging out with it. Um, and he, he smiles over at, at you all as you return and he said, You got good news for me? Perhaps in a manner of speaking. You know... Sandville, I've, I've heard that there's nobody in Torch, perhaps nobody even in Numeria, as resourceful as you. Why, they've even heard of you down near the Darklands. The Skulks we encountered, even they know the name of Sandville Tret. And I heard you tell Brixby just the other day that this country was built on the backs of metal creatures like these, so I know they have truly great potential. Perhaps you misspoke. Uh, accidentally, it can happen to one, even with a tongue made of precious metals. This robot is worth far more than you have initially offered us. I think we would be happy to make an exchange for the tune of platinum piece times ten. One thousand gold pieces. Sandville uh, looks down and he uh, thinks about this idea for a minute. Looks back over at the automaton and uh, he waits for you to roll diplomacy. <laughs> I know th- I'd know that look anywhere. <laughs> it's weird that he's looking at your dice, but complicated man that's what they say well uh, I shouldn't have rolled the portal dice since it wasn't uh, a combat situation Uh, that is a total of a nine Uh, since I gave him some advice can I try to roll to <laughs> bring that to a solid 11 with my that the first round it went poorly and, and hope to do better uh, the second yeah. round of bargaining let's take an L we'll take never an L. know it could be a DC 10 yeah oh sure <laughs> well it, I would say it's a little bit late to call for that eight. true <laughs> Samville um, you know he he purses his, his hands in front of him, or steeples his fingers, rather, and uh, holds them up in front of his mouth. It is worth more. The problem is, well, there's numerous problems. The first one being, of course, that the, the machine's dead. The second one is, you guys dragged this through town today. Everybody in Torch knows about it if they didn't already know about the other one. How long do you think it's going to take the technically to find out that there's uh, machines just sitting in houses and torch? They're going to come, and uh, that makes everything about this more dangerous. The other and much more surmountable problem is that I make a habit of not carrying gigantic sums of gold with me when I travel, so. I have 500, and I can offer you that. Any more than that, and it's uh, it's going to take some time to retrieve. Well, that is that's unfortunate to hear. 
you do bring up a good point that the Technic League may well have heard about it. I'm a stranger to these parts. I don't yet have had any dealings with them, so perhaps I'm ignorant, but I wonder if I were to openly offer it to them for sale, whether they might give a better price, a more fair price. After all, they could even repair it. If the 500 gold is the best you can do, then perhaps I've been going about this the wrong way, and we should just look to see if we can't endear ourselves to the Technic League and make a fair price in the process. And I'll roll a bluff. Uh, sixteen. Yeah, he literally laughs at you at that one. He says, they'll offer you a better price, then they'll take the robot and throw you in jail for the rest of your life. If not worse. You said it yourself, you're new here. You don't know the league like I do. He points over at Vargas. Oh, says it. This guy knows. He looks like he knows anyways. Yeah, and he'll step forward and he's actually going to smile and he's going to say, As a matter of fact, I do know the League quite intimately. And it's interesting how you said, you know, word of this thing getting to them, them coming here, looking through houses. Tell me, if word did get to the League, whose house do you think would be the first one they would check in this area? Who do you think around here is known to openly wander the marketplace, offering a reward for people to bring him lost technology like this automaton? So... Here's another offer for you. You give us the 500 now. You promise us another 250 the next time you're in town. And we don't tip off any of the more nosy members of the society who might go running to the League about who's got a shiny new robot sitting in their house. And I'm going to roll Intimidate. That is... That is 18. Very nice. Is it too late for Asher to aid since he's been a part of this ongoing conversation? I'd say you can aid. That's an excellent point, Vargas. He was rather vocal about his needs and desires. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a total of an 8. So perhaps I shouldn't ever roll dice socially again. I can aid. We're still for everyone's offering up help. I feel like this is an easier one to aid with than normal diplomacy because it's always a little easier to kind of intimidate somebody than it is to nicely convince them into something. Uh, 18 if it matters. That is a successful aid. That'd be a total of a 20. I don't know why you'd even try this. I think Sandville has made it very clear that he's a very brave man. Mm-hmm. Very strong will. <laughs> uh, so his face does turn a bit red um, as Vargas is, is speaking to him. And he's sort of, you know, metaphorically backed into a corner, though there's a big empty warehouse behind him. He goes, uh, all right, you make a good point. Listen, I don't want us to get off into on the wrong foot here. Like I said, I think, based on what I've seen coming up out of there, there's enough under that hill to make all of us rich for the rest of our lives. So I'll, I'll give you your 500 now. Take the machine off your hands. And I'll, I'll send off to the Bank of Abadar for more money. In anticipation, if all of you going back under there cleaning that place out as fast as you can. And the important thing is to get it all out as quickly as possible before the League finds out and 
to get down here. But with me on your side, we can get it out of town, we can get it somewhere safe, and we can all retire rich. I'm less worried about retiring rich and more about just getting this thing off of our hands. But the other members of my group have made some decent points about both how rare this thing is and how much you want it. And you've made some decent points about how dangerous it is to have around. So I think this is a good compromise we can all make. And he turns to the rest of the group, see if you guys all also agree. Junk Punch, Master of Diplomacy. Asher tips his hat. Brixby looks actually pretty uh, amazed at everybody's efforts. Also, uh, conciliatory pat to Asher. Mate, I know how hard it is to talk to him. Like I said, silver tongue. Uh, approved. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, y'all. Y'all want to help me carry this uh, back to my cart? I think uh, I'd be hard pressed to carry this thing by myself. Did you say cart or cottage? Uh, cart, I said. Oh, cool. All right, never mind. I thought, thought he said cottage, because I was like, we're not dragging this back to your house. Yeah, of course. Here, man. So I thought he said car for a second. Yeah, it's his Buick. <laughs> the uh, Craigslist ad says U-Haul there, Santana, so I'm sorry, buddy. No. Uh, of course, Sandville. We'll do it for you. Yeah, we'll just throw it in the trunk of my LeSabre. <laughs> all right well he will will lead you back uh across the street to uh where he does have his his cart um stashed not far um certainly not nearly as far as you all hauled the robot earlier today he's got plenty of skins and tarps and things in there to cover it up with and yeah, this whole time he's like he's very clearly excited and um, like grinning ear to ear, and he he doesn't stop talking the whole time. He's like, "We're gonna, uh, you're gonna see. I'm gonna make all of you very." And yeah, I know, I know the Bane guy. He's he's under there. He's he's got to be dead. But you find his body, uh, you'll get your money from that too. But that'll be a drop in the bucket. And maybe you light the torch again. You'll get that money too. And then you're good people. I know that's why you're doing this. But yeah. You'll see, you'll see what real money looks like once you pick that place clean. Ah, uh, well, Sandville, it seems like we're in good company to make money. And, uh, well, as it's always said where I'm from, that's the company you keep. And once you get that on the cart, he'll, um, you know, run back to the cottage and dig out a, a pouch of money, um, count it out for you, and, and hand over 500 gold. It's all in copper pieces, so it takes him about 45 minutes to count it out to us. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. I was uh, just rolling these earlier. Uh, I don't have time, though, so uh, hopefully just this garbage bag is fine. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Sandville. Have a uh, good evening. Yeah, it was a pleasure working with you. Nah, it's going to take me a day or two to get this stash someplace safe and get my money out of the bank, but I'll be back. He's he's packing things up like he's going to leave tonight to get the robot out of town. Get your blanket back, though. That was not included in the price. It's <laughs> <This is> true. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. That's, that's my dead friend blanket. Thank you. <laughs> ah, gotcha. Dead friend blanket. Dead friend blanket. And pull that one out and uh, throw it, <laughs> throw it over to Kira. <laughs> Wouldn't want to take any dead friend blankets. I appreciate your sensitivity. Thank you. Uh, so I think with that we'll leave our fun friend to pack up all of the stuff and get the hell out of town. Um, while we. What, rent a room of our own? Question mark? (laughs) 
Well, I mean, that's up to all of you. You do have at this point Sandville abandoning the premises in this little cottage, but it is a, a one-bedroom. Um, you've got um, Vargas already has a, a place he's rented out to stay, and so is Asher. I think the only one who doesn't is uh, Brixby, right? Because you arrived in town the day of the... Uh, so you could just take over Sandville's little hut. Uh, and I think maybe with that then, <laughs> Bricks people just turn right back around and walk up the hut stairs and, Sandville, you beautiful man, um, so, you're not using the hut for the rest of the night, right? And he eyes you, uh, for a second and then goes, uh, right, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna get this stuff out of here while the getting's good, just to make sure... Nobody knows where it is, in case the league comes a knocking. Yeah, uh, well, you know, if it's just gonna be empty and everything, um, kinda kicks the ground. I, uh, look, can I stay here? I don't, I don't have a place to stay. Yeah, he's got like a, a bag of those jars under his arm and he goes uh yeah what the hells you can stay I'll be back tomorrow day after maybe just don't trash the place I, I like this despite the uh the smell yeah don't worry I uh won't uh interrupt your feng shui or good housekeeping in here I see you've got a very organized workspace with that he plops down on the bed Alright, you know, Sandville does go about his business um, packing up a bunch of stuff, but there's tons there, so he leaves a lot of it. And he's off shortly thereafter. I should um, mention that the um, the woman from the town council, Dolga, did tell you that um, the foundry was available to stay at for anyone working on retrieving Connor from under the mountain, but at this point it's pretty late at night to go waking up a kid <laughs> demanding that she let you stay the one's looking for your dead dad let us in hey look I'm looking for your <laughs> totally not dead dad we might still find it but let us in we can spend the rest of the night uh, solving the mystery of whatever the smell is in Sandville's hut because <laughs> he appeared to think that it was something already there and the landlord appeared to think it was because of Sandville so there's clearly some sort of mystery afoot there. <laughs> I just assumed he was being, uh, you know, intentionally uh, ignorant of his own pipe smoke. <laughs> just being like, I have no idea what happened in here. <laughs> Possibly skunks outside of the... Anyway, I'm out. Lit a candle. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no one rolled the sense motive on that one. So the mystery remains. Um, yeah, Bricks was only just sort of staying inside the hut, uh, because it, he felt it would maybe be rude to stand outside and tap his foot, but, uh, once Sandville's gone, he would just rejoin his companions and say, um, so, uh, well, this is me. Uh, was there anything else anyone was planning to do tonight? Or should we just crack at it early in the morning back under the mountain? Do we think we should maybe pay a trip to one of the local priests, try to get a little bit of healing before we sleep? If it's not enough, we could always get some more again in the morning. Well, we'll need water breathing, so perhaps instead of making another trip out now, we can just attempt to get healing and water breathing in the morning. I do like that, um way of thinking. Uh, rousing a priest late at night can be bad luck, I've heard. Um, at the very least, he's a little grumpy. So, perhaps we regroup in the morning, uh, shop, get our castings, and head back to the mountain. Sounds good. Okay. Alright. Um, so, 
everybody parts ways to sleep for the night. Um, where does everybody go? I guess we, we know Brixby's staying at the cottage. Um, we know Vargas is going back to the temple. Vargas heads off to go rouse a priest in the middle of the night, regardless. <laughs> um, Asher's got a room at the inn across the street. And uh, where is Kara going? Yeah, uh, Kara will wait until everyone is gone. Be like, okay, bye, I'm heading home. And then find a new warehouse <laughs> to sleep in. There's it's a warehouse district you can find. There's another like oh perfect an abandoned warehouse again. It's the aesthetic by this point. <laughs> All right, and as we sort of fade out on the night, um, we're, uh, the camera's going to head over to uh, Brixby in Sandville's cluttered cabin because um, he's settling down for the evening. Ah. Uh. Brixby is going to kind of orient himself in the residual mess of Sandville's habitation. (laughs) Just push some of the maybe, maybe not illicit substances off to the side and and sigh. Um, He'll reflect on the past day and the wonders that they found, the blood that was spilled and the people that he did it with. Um, He hangs his head recounting the ineffectuality of his blades in combat. His practice swings are now clumsy and slow. How do you expect to survive? Look, look clearly wants nothing to do with you. He thinks again of his new friends and how long he'll be able to keep them. And then Naparta, dead in a cave, deep down in a dark cave. And then inevitably inward. He thinks of his own deep down, his own dark cave, the one in his heart and the two bodies in there. This evening, unlike most evenings, he opts not to visit, instead sighing heavily, reaching to his pack. He gingerly extracts out the tattered pages from their protective case and smooths out the ochre parchment as he tries again to decipher the text within. He had gathered that the inscriptions in Pathfinder Forsyth's journal at least in the portion that he was able to recover, were partially constituted of standard arcane sigils interspersed with odd glyphs that the scholar was attempting to decrypt. Used to be able to do these bricks between the symbols, beyond the lines. He scowls. The rat folk leans closer to the page as exhaustion stoops his head, slowly shifts his eyes out of focus. As darkness closes the aperture of his sight, characters on the page before him fade, accentuating the precise gaps and spaces between the graying inclines. The paper appears to distort, then ripple, and then for the briefest of moments, glow a sickly chartreuse, similar to the aura that he'd seen emanate from Vargas's arm. He snaps awake, the vision gone, like some sort of hypnic jerk, like feeling like he was falling. That odd feeling still remains, like an imprint or an echo. Without thinking, he dips the pen that Sandville had left in the inkwell and begins to write. It seems a thing is defined as much by what it is as what it is not. Meaning comes from absence. Squinting without recognition at his own note, he lets the quill fall and succumbs to the wonderful nothing of sleep right there at the desk. As Brixby sinks into the darkness of the night, and in his dream, everything is back in that all-consuming dark. He's perhaps somewhere underground, perhaps in a, a familiar place, but a place where he can't see anything at all, except those symbols from the notebook, those odd characters that never seemed to make sense before. They appear... They float in the air, glowing, rearranging themselves, till they start to become familiar. The camera pulls back, and we're now in the dead of night. Everyone in the town is fast asleep. We swing over to the Evercandle Inn, just across the street. And as we uh, zoom in, 
and find Asher's room on the on the second floor. Something prompts the gunslinger to open his eyes from a deep sleep. And Asher sits up and he looks around, kind of rubbing some sleep from his eyes. And as he sits up, uh, the door creaks open slowly, pushed by some invisible hand. Asher will kind of still fatigued reach under his bed to grab his pistol as stealthily as he can and just wait aimed at aiming it at the door a shadow creeps over the door and then slowly ducking through it is a massive creature something composed of what appears to be burlap or rags of some kind and it steps through and stands to its full height ten feet tall if an inch a rag doll with a crooked smile sewn into its face its body covered in in wooden buttons bone buttons metal buttons of all different types and it just stands there in its great raggedy silence and stares at Asher. Asher looks back at this creature, bewildered, and he lowers the gun to the bed and lets it sit there and... I must be dreaming. This is... Who are you? The odd fellow says nothing at all. It reaches onto its shoulder, grabs hold of one of the buttons there with its mitt-like cloth fingers, pulls it off, reaches out and places it on the table next to Asher, though it didn't seem like it ever moved any closer. It just simply was. It releases the button, leaves it on the bedside table, and stands up again, its expression never changing, never making a sound. Asher looks at the button, and then he reaches out his hand and picks it up to examine it more closely. button is about the size of the palm of Asher's hand. It's made of wood, and on it is a engraving of a short sword with three notches cut into it. As Asher's looking at it, the odd fellow with the buttons nods his head ever so slightly, steps back out the door and is gone. And Asher's Asher's normally tanned face seems to pale as he looks at this button and he he recognizes the symbol on it. And he smiles, uh, places the button back on the table and moves his gun back underneath the bed and lays back down to sleep. And so ends perhaps the longest adventuring day in Pod Against the Machine history <laughs> as everyone uh, gets their sleep for the night. And as they sleep, you all level up. Yay! You are officially level two. <laughs> nice. Yes. Level two. Ready to take on the boss. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we... Uh, finish this episode why don't we have everybody roll for hit points and then uh, we will go from there oh god who would like to go first <laughs> we'll go in the same order we went in for starting the episode so Izzy how about uh, you go first what are you rolling for your hit dice for level 2 you know, I'm pretty sure it's a D10, but this feels like a great time to tell me if I'm wrong. It could be a 20. Who can say? <laughs> Percentile dice for sure. I think you're right about it being a D10. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a that's a 98 on the die. Uh, that's a four. I'm fine with that. I guess I'll take a four. All right. Yeah, you beat me. You, I rolled a one, so you're taking that four. Yay. All right, Jero, you are up. 
what is your hit dice? Yep. And, uh, yep, Vargas has a D8, which this is the uh, first time I think I have rolled this uh, Norse Foundry D8 since I got it, so that'll be kind of exciting. And that is a 2, so I'm hoping you got something a little better. <laughs> yeah, I got a 4. Oh, so better than a 2. 4 is all around. Yeah, four. All right, and going over to Jeff. What is your hit dice? Uh, Asher has a D10 hit dice as well. Uh, we're gonna go back to the portal dice, the official Asher dice by Cozy Gamer Shop. Well, four is the number of the day. Any uh, any better on your end, sir? Yeah, this time I got a seven. Awesome. Thank you. So the ranged character is rolling in health now. Woot. And now Brixby. Speaking of rolling in health, I thought the D8 hit die of uh, Unchained Rogue was a little generous. So let's do a D6 for this level, Sam. All right. God damn it. It's a three. Well, I got a two, so three it is. I'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, live forever. All right, and um, why don't we go in reverse order now? And Zach, how about you tell us uh, what exactly earned you that D6 of hit points for level two? Uh, well, um, fine character building and uh, good strategy, Sam. <laughs> no, I... Uh, yeah, this is decided, a <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, I decided um, Bricks the Melee Monster could only get better if I took a level in Wizard, everyone's favorite tank class. Uh, no, but literally, I am, uh, I am a magical rat. I am now canonically uh, Mickey Mouse from Fantasia with a knife, or as we like to affectionately refer to him here, the Stabra Cadabrat. DM, DM. Um, <laughs> very, very happy to uh, to start fleshing out Brix's character path. But uh, yeah, Rogue One, Wizard One. Was, that's definitely a movie. Is that the new Star Wars movie? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Disney owns it, so why not? All right, and uh, Jeff, you just took another uh, gunslinger level, right? You know... Actually, he didn't. Uh, Asher took a uh, his first level as a paladin, a divine hunter paladin, and that symbol, that short sword with three notches, represents his deity. And uh, I don't know how mysterious we need to be. Anybody could look it up on Pathfinder Wiki. Uh, but yeah, that uh, that is uh, Chaldira Zuzaristan. So he is now uh, a paladin uh, one, gunslinger one. Thankfully keeping in the D10 hit dice. Paladin one, gunslinger one being the much lesser known um, Star Wars spinoff. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't catch on as well. It's in that ex- expanded universe. Straight to Amazon. And Jero, how about you? Uh, I am sticking with my class. So Vargas is a Magus 2, which is the uh, completely critically panned sequel to Ready Player One. Uh, but yeah. Uh, do eventually have plans of uh, multi-classing in the future, but uh, as other people who have played a Magus probably know, you sort of want to at least get the first five or six levels in that before you start branching out, or you really are going to get left behind by the rest of your party and die horribly. Well, I mean, you're all going to die horribly, but... Uh, which brings us to Izzy. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I didn't love that transition. I swear that was just a coincidence. Mm. Um, now, um, uh, multi-class? Uh, single class. Psychic? Just the one. Yeah, Ooh. no. I thought about it. 
and I was like, how how can I outdo all of my incredibly talented uh, castmates here? And then I was like, eh, I can't. So I'm just going to bump that Blood Rager 1 up to a Blood Rager 2 and uh, keep it keep it cool. Just smash some things. Eventually, that'll shift. But for now, I think Kira's had a very restful night of doing what she's always done, which is getting angry and smashing things, as you do when you're 15. All right. Well, now that we're all level two and we're all well rested and the party HP is somewhere in the low 20s, at least. Total. Total. <laughs> I'm going to go to bed. Good night, Sam. Night, Sam. Night, Sam. Sam. Against the Machine is property of its creators, all rights reserved. Pathfinder and the Iron God's Adventure Path are properties of Paizo Publishing. Please visit them at paizo.com for more information. Theme Against the Machine, written and performed by our own Zach. Please consult the show notes for additional music and sound effect licensing information. <laughs> that, one, that was so early. <laughs> it was me. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> guys, I have not been feeling great today, so I'm not bringing my A game. But I'm trying to at least bring my my B minus game. Let's uh, let's let's get another clap and forget that first one. <laughs> All right, one, two, three. That was a good. Hey. All right. It was a pretty low bar the first time around, but <laughs> this is exactly what we were talking about with those outtakes. Yeah, the nowhere to yeah. go but up is. <laughs> it's an important standard is we the... keep. <laughs> the pot against the machine company motto. <laughs> <laughs> Can only get better for me. Where to go but up.